Rising action. Rising action. I just want my phone call. What do we actually know? Rising Action Podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to the Rising Action Podcast. It's me, Grayson. I'm leading this episode, sorta. With me is my main man, Josh Johnson. Hello, friend. How you doing? How you been? I'm. How's life? I'm doing swell. How about you? doing quite peachy today's a peach it's my day off i feel great and i'm happy and no stress because it's day off and i get to i, I played golf this morning yeah old man so, no <laughs> kidding yeah well <laughs> but i, I left we, early because there was about eight thousand people there so i was like f this i'm going to eat lunch we both went to a golf course today <laughs> i got off of work early unexpectedly so like i'm kind of half in that boat there um this is the first time, like, maybe in the history of Rising Action ever that we're recording before 8 p.m. Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not just dead. Uh, it's a, it's right. A, it's Normally about halfway through an episode, my brain function just kind of goes down the toilet. And <laughs> and yeah. then by the end of the episode, you can tell, oh, Josh has gone insane. Yeah. So hopefully that doesn't happen this time. Although I haven't eaten yet, so I still might. Lose all brain function about halfway through. He's hangry. I had I had a pizza before this, so you know, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Anyway, let's not be talking about food. Yeah, let's not. We'll we'll get past that. Um, Yeah. What what are we talking about this week? But before I get through all the housekeeping stuff, just give us a little tease. I mean, obviously this is the title, but yeah. So (laughs) this week we're talking about how green screens, blue screens, and digital projection work. Yeah. And like the uh, evolution of it. We're going to, yeah. Well, I guess we're mostly going to talk about one franchise of movies that has used it probably more than anybody else has and kind of ev- yes. uh, like evolutionized it and made it popular. Um, ev- and I think everybody can guess what it is, but we'll yeah. save that little mini surprise for when we actually tell you what that is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So basically we're talking about how green screens and blue screens have evolved and how they work and how they're used to make movies. And then... The newest, the newest third friend there is some digital projection, and we'll explain how that works as yeah, well. Very recent one, yeah, for sure. Um, but before we get into that, just want to remind you all, if you are listening on whatever platform, please give us a follow or a subscription, whatever it may be. Uh, if you haven't already, it really helps us out. And if you've been listening for a while or you like what you hear, it would really help us out a lot. Um, also, if you're listening on Spotify, please give us a rating, a good one, preferably, but I mean, bad one. If you <laughs> don't it, give us a bad, <laughs> I mean, Hey, I'm an honest man. If you didn't like it, give us a negative review, but I guarantee you're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. Sorry. I just, that's one of my favorite memes is, the, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, do with of those things that really help us out. You can also, uh, keep up to date sort of with us on at rising action underscore on Instagram. You can follow me at Straight Theory on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And you can follow Josh at Josh Johnson with two N's, then a 98 on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Should be it. Oh, and you Perfect. Can, you, can, you nailed it. Yeah, and you can also check us out on Comic Blast. Um, but that's a different thing. Let's get into this, uh, this blue screen, green screen, uh, n- neither color screen thing. <laughs> right. All color screen. <laughs> All the colors of the rainbow. Yeah. Um, so basically, just the real quick bit of it is uh, green screens were invented in the 1940s. 
Um, and they've been used for a really long time. I don't think anybody has no clue what a green screen is. I think everybody knows what a green screen is. Um, but they they were used, I mean, have been used in everything from movies to, you know, they're used for the weatherman to point at the little rain emoji as a, it floats in. and Yeah, it's a very common for any type of filmmaker, regardless of it being an actual film. I mean, now green screen is almost like the easiest way to get a quick background for an image. Um, yep. So, I mean, now we have... Um, all editing softwares pretty much have a way where you can just bloop, have a green screen in the background and, and you can make it almost any green thing. You can get a green like piece of cloth from Walmart, put it behind you, tape it up to your wall and put a picture on there. And there you go. You have a, you have a nice clean background. Yeah. So I really, uh, I was thinking before we decided to do this episode, I was like, okay, how can we illustrate exactly how these things work and how they're used? And I realized that there's one set of movies that has used all of the things that we're going to be talking about. And I'm sure it's really no surprise, but we're going to talk about Star Wars a little bit. Yes, and not sir. necessarily about the movies themselves, yeah. but how they've used, uh, you know, CGI and mm -hmm. and green screens and blue screens and how all those things kind of come together to create yeah. you know all these crazy worlds and and stuff that you see in Star Wars movies but essentially um you know in 1977 first off I don't know if anybody does know this if you don't you're about you're welcome here in a couple of seconds but <laughs> Um, <laughs> this, the original Star Wars movies have been updated quite a bit, multiple times, um, yeah. and a lot of their yeah, a lot of their VFX has been remastered. So I think if you were to go find in Best Buy a copy of A New Hope, it would look a thousand times better than the original right. Star Wars that came out in 1977. Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, uh, the original Star Wars was absolutely groundbreaking for the time because they were using green screens and uh, computer-generated things more than any other you know, movie or production that had ever really happened yeah. up until that point. Yeah, well, the computer-generated computer stuff didn't come until a little bit later, but yeah, I mean, they definitely they pioneered that whole thing, and you know, people know that I'm... They used a lot of practical effects with green screens. That's probably what I should have said. Yeah, and people know that I'm like a... Just to get this out there, like, I'm a massive Star Wars fan, but it's not just because of the lore and everything. I love that, but I'm also a huge fan of these movies because of how they were made and what they did for film and... Uh, and, and filmmaking in a whole, like as a, an entirety. Um, I watched the documentary. Mm -hmm. well, I watched many documentaries as a kid and a lot of behind the scenes stuff for, um, for the original trilogy and the prequels um, because I was so fascinated with how they made these. And um, if anybody hasn't seen it, um, and it'll give even more t context to what we're talking about, but do it after, go watch the documentary called Empire of Dreams, which is a uh, documentary that talks about um, the original trilogy and kind of the um, basically how those three movies were made. And it does get into the creation of ILM, um, which mm -hmm. was a direct result of Star Wars. Like it's these group of guys, these basically these uh, these engineers that were using um, their knowledge to create new and innovative ways um, for filmmaking. And um, and it, it went just it went beyond green screens and blue screens and everything like that. Yeah. But they were the ones that pioneered that for sure. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, one thing that they did was 
Well, if you don't know how a green screen works in a movie, essentially it's a solid color background. Mm -hmm. And I, I know I've been told this, but I don't exactly remember why green and why blue. I think it's just because they're colors that people won't just wear. And it's kind of like a, it's a color that stands out. That it's also you just won't find in a whole lot of things. And it's not just like any type of green. It's like a very specific bright yeah. neon green and blue. Um, yeah. That's like almost like people, when they see blue screens, you're like, oh, it, like the sky. And it's like, no, like not that kind of no. blue. That That's like a very. It's like a dark blue. Yeah. It's like, it's a very contrasting color that makes it where like right. it sticks out very prominently. Right. And so then what they'll do in the editing process. So they'll shoot all their footage on these sets with green screen, either, you know, they'll, they'll rig it up to where they've got all this green everywhere. And then what they'll do is they'll do what's called a chroma key Mm -hmm. where they take out that green color and it basically erases all the green from their image, which then they can go in and add all their digital everything. Yeah. So, you can basically just shoot a subject, so an actor, and, and you see this a lot with Marvel movies. They'll have their actor, and they'll be standing on a set that they've built to look like the, um, the background or, or the setting. That's what I'm trying to say. They'll, they'll have them standing on like the floor that looks like the setting, and then they'll just be green or blue screens all behind them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so what they'll do is they'll take out, they'll chroma key out all the green and blue so that all of that is gone from the image. And then they'll put in all of their environments, which they've created in a computer. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of modern, like how it's used in modern context. But in 1977, it was much different. Um, They didn't just chroma key out everything. Um, I mean, they they used chroma key, but the way that they would get uh, their backgrounds was much different. So, for example, uh, to get ships flying in space in Star Wars, it was all done practically, which means they didn't create this crazy, cool space thing in a computer and stick it in. What they did was they built a rig, and then they built a model for the ship. And so then they would put the ship, uh, their model, on a rig that would then be... I don't know if they like put a motor in it where they could plan the movement or if they had somebody actually operating it but yeah they would get the the movement and i'm pretty sure they would shoot it in reverse right well i know for for a fact that like in some of the more recent things they've actually and we'll get into this in a second with um uh, with the kind of the third iteration of it but um sometimes the ships don't even move at all especially when they're in complete right. space they'll either they will it's the camera that's the moving cam- instead of the actual right. ship. So, and sometimes it'll be a close-up of the camera, and then they'll move it away really quickly, or vice versa. And then like it'll make it yep. have that like illusion, oh, the ship is flying towards the camera or, or whatever. And, yeah. and now in like the more, more modern Star Wars, I mean, m- almost all of the ships are are CG because this because yep. the CG has come so far. But yeah, I mean, if those originals, they're on these motors where they would, they would move or they would tilt or whatever. And then while the camera yep. was moving, so that say like they're in the trench run, for example, with the X wings, like it makes it look like they're moving really fast down these trenches um, or, in, yep. or in space. So it gives that sense of, of velocity. Yeah. Yeah. And the stars in the background would not be a green screened, background it would literally be a blackboard that they punched holes into yeah. and they would stick lights through so that it would look like stars in the background and it was like 
really, really cool for the time. Oh, yeah. The ingenuity and the, the way that they were able to make Just all clever. of their image in camera. Yeah, super, super cool. Um, so as the movies went on, uh, you had original Star Wars, and then you had, um, what do you have, Empire Strikes Back, and then you have... Return of the Jedi. Uh, Return of the Jedi, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you go on, they start to add a little bit more of green screens, and one scene I'm thinking of <clears throat> is the motorbike scene in Return on, of the Jedi. Uh, yes, oh, they're in the, in the forest on Endor. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, yes. So that is pure T green screen yep. right there. Yeah, it is. Um, so basically, what's happening in that that scene is you've got your actors on your motorbike and they're on like a little rig or whatever that does some movement of the motorbike and it's all completely green screens in the background. So then they do their chroma key where they cut out all their green from the image and they play over it. Like, um, I guess it's a reversed. So, so here's how they got the footage of the forest in that scene. So yeah, it's a, it's a green screen that they used and it's basically, you know, uh, Mark Hamill and the uh, and Carrie Fisher or these scout troopers on the bikes, you know, going through the scenes. But literally to get the footage for the forest, they had a guy walk through the forest with the camera for like hours, yeah. super slowly. He couldn't just walk through really fast. He had to go super slowly, like maybe like one or two steps at a time. Just because it had to be smooth, right? And I mean, these speeder bikes are going so fast. Like I mean, they're going right. at least like 50, 60 miles an hour. Um, and so, yeah, when, when you're going through, like basically they sped up the footage to make it looks like they're just flying and it gives, it gives you the, uh, the motion blur and everything like that. But yeah, that's, mm-hmm. and, and that became such a, um, prominent way, almost the, the only way to do scenes where characters were on ships or speeders or cars or motorcycles. Yeah. You see this a lot with people driving in a car. There's the classic scene from, I don't even remember which movie, but it's the guy driving in the car and the green, there's like green screen behind him. And like, he's looking behind him and he sees somebody on, I think it's a motorcycle driving behind him, but it's just like, like you see it, it's iconic. Everybody will recognize it. I don't even think you'll know the movie, but you're just like, Oh yeah, that's like a dude in a car and it's green screen. Yep. Um, but also for that scene on indoor, they had to do a little bit of math to get, the correct motion blur. They do this also with the ships, but they had to shoot at a specific frame rate Mm -hmm. and they had to do their movement. It had to be extremely specific because if you do it too fast, you don't get the correct motion blur. You also get some camera shake so that when you speed it up, it's just like a seizure is happening. (laughs) Or or, um, if you go uh, too slow, then you won't get enough motion blur Mm -hmm. and it'll just be clear. And it's not like they can go in there and they can blur the background like you can with a modern editor. Yeah. You kind of had to get everything in camera mm-hmm. and you can cut out your background and place it in there, but it's not like you, you know, once you've shot it, you can't go back and tweak, you know, the heck out of it to make it look like how you want. You kind of have what you've got. So they had to do a lot of practical math to make sure that they were going to get it to look how they wanted so that when they sped it up, it would blur out the background so that it would look correct and so it wouldn't look super goofy. Um, and they did a really, really cool job with that. And then, um, moving on to the more modern Star Wars movies, uh, green screen started to be used quite a bit. And <laughs> Almost entirely. this time it wasn't, 
almost entirely. And it wasn't just practical backgrounds and practical effects. It was CGI. It was the introduction of computer-generated everything. So we have computer-generated environments and and even characters. And, Not a single you know, clone trooper in right. the, the prequels is real. There was never a right. armor made ever. Um, I don't, which is honestly mind blowing because they kind of look pretty cool. Um, they don't really hold up now, but I'm sure no. when it came out, it was like, oh wow, like that looks. They legit. they hold up well enough, I would say. Not to the, I mean, but not to the point where it's like, oh, that still looks real. It's like you can clearly see that they're that they're working around all of these um, these fake characters. All of yeah. the battle droids are also CGI. So you know, oh yeah. Um, I mean, the entire for the prequels, like that was. I don't think there has been a franchise bigger. Maybe maybe the MCU. No, I, I don't even want to say that because the MCU still uses real sets. But like the prequels, almost ex- like I want to say like everything. I want to say like eighty five percent of that those movies were were CG blue screen and green screen br- black bleh, backgrounds. Like any behind yeah. the scenes shot you will look at, there is a blue screen or a green screen. There is never not a <laughs> a scene where there's not one. Like it's just yeah. You know, like you think. Um, especially an attack of the clones in Revenge of the Sith, but like even the interiors, like when there's windows and stuff in the the, background, all the interiors. So like when, uh, Chancellor Palpatine is in the Senate, Mm -hmm. he's on his little, his little set with the two guys, everything else, the whole Senate is just green (laughs) and then they put it all in in post. Um, even the scene when there's the Darth Vader reveal in, uh, Revenge of the Sith, it's, it's Darth Vader. It's the actual suit and he's on his little and the little platform, but everything else is is green. Yep. Um, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure to get all these uh, digital characters, they would have people running around in green suits, and then they would like pin their digital renderings to yeah the people well, dep- running around and doing the movement. It depends on which characters. It does, because like Jar Jar Binks, it was the actor with a little Jar Jar head yes. on top of his right. head. Right. Yeah. So there was a real actor, <laughs> and they for just Jar Jar. like redid the whole thing. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't. Frankly, like, I don't know how they they got. I guess they had to like digitally paint the real actor out of everything. Yeah. And then replace him. This is like which sounds 90, awful. It, it came out in ninety nine, so like ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah. I mean, that was. A lot like that. Say what you will about the prequels, but I mean that was one of the biggest. Like, I think those movies yielded so many technical marvels. The prequels and Lord of the Rings for the time. Yeah, yeah. like I don't think CGI were, would be where it's at today. Even like not just with the original Star Wars, but where the the prequels did because it because George Lucas was like, well, what's the point in doing things practical if we just have all of the stuff we can just do in computers? And that's where yeah. that's where the whole term fix it in post came in or they're like uh-huh. they're just like can't do it right now fix it in post fix it in post which is a yeah. horrible mentality to have please do not do that like <laughs> don't fix it in post. And so but one thing yeah. that came out of all of this green screening was the term or the the technique of doing set extensions mm-hmm. where you would create like a quarter the first quarter the the initial quarter of your set and scene and then have green screens behind it. So like, let's say for example, you're in a Wild West town and maybe you don't have the whole town there. Maybe you've only got like four buildings. So what you would do is you would have 
let's say you've got a guy riding into town on his horse. Mm-hmm. And so you've got these four buildings, but then behind these four buildings that you've actually got, you would set up, you would rig green screens so that you would literally have the entire background completely green. And then what you would do is you would film your scene where your character's walking in and you see your environment and then you would send that shot off to the the digital artist and they would chroma key out all your green and they would place there a digital rendering of what this scene would actually look like if the whole town was there yep. and there would even be people in there and there would be extra buildings and it would look real and you wouldn't have any clue now granted most westerns they're going to probably have a whole town because they're not that big and, and it's not that hard to everywhere. build a western town it's not that hard no they would build them but in the event that you want to do a set extension it's you would just have what you would see like the initial you know the initial first quarter maybe even the first half of it and then the rest of it would be um extended digitally and you see that in like almost every movie oh ever, yeah i mean i since I even, 2000 i even think of like I remember I watched behind the scenes for like Joker, which came almost a year out a year yep. ago where like the city had uh, a lot of set extensions. That's, that's one thing that they do is that it allows them to not actually have to film on location. They can film in these right. lots um, or whatever it may be. And then, and just like create the, the uh, some of the buildings and then have it, you know, out in the background and it saves them yep. a whole lot of money more than it would to try to get the permits to film in a city or on location from right. the from the actual you see that town a lot or with government the Hobbit or whatever. Movies. Yeah, you see that with yeah. the Hobbit movies where they had they filmed everything in Wellington, New Zealand on a lot, or mm-hmm. uh, they would go out like in New Zealand somewhere and film some of their locations, like the Shire or uh, actually no, the Shire was in a lot, um, but most everything was in like a trailer park essentially like yeah. there was just this walled off place and they would create these sets and digitally extend them all. So thus far we've got practical effects where, uh, the original star Wars would put, uh, their, their models on a rig and they would do actual camera movements and it would be entirely in camera. And then it transitioned to wait, actually we don't have to do all of this math and all of these tedious movements mm-hmm. we can stick a green screen behind our subject and actually kind of all do this sort of in editing afterwards yeah but before you jumped on to the last thing that we're going to talk about i do want to say that yeah. like between the points of the prequels and where we're about to go to with star wars um and not even like not i'm not talking about the sequels or whatever but like I think people learned a lot from the prequels and that like you can't, mm-hmm. you still cannot do everything digitally. We have a lot, we have come very far when it comes to, um, to CGI and, uh, and blue screens and green screens. But that was like a thing of like, you know, practical effects are almost always going to hold up far longer yes. than CG. And, and, and the best way to do it is blending the two. And so I mm-hmm. think Lord of the Rings specifically was the best way to blend CG and practical effects because there's so much practical effects in Lord of the Rings and also Mm -hmm. um, CG, and it still holds up fantastically. And so I think... They did quite a bit of extending rather than, let's make the whole thing in a computer. They Mm -hmm. were like, let's make the first quarter of our scene that's most immediate to our camera. Let's make that real, and then we'll extend the rest of it and match it. Yeah, and so I think that franchise right there 
ultimately paved way for what we have with modern Marvel movies and and far and other um, high budget um, films. And now, mm-hmm. especially with the the sequel trilogy in Star Wars, which regardless of the plot or whatever you think, like um, which is often what is knocked the most. That's not what we're talking about. The way the sequels were made. They are the best made Star Wars movies, no doubt. Rogue One, Solo, and the new th- like the new three movies, like they, and, unless you're just talking about like for nostalgia reasons of the of the original trilogy, because they were very yeah. well made for the time they were in. You can't right. say that like we in terms of like Star Wars, like in terms of like visuals and yeah, production I mean they and stuff they like blend they blended the real the real sets with um, CG in such a fantastic way, and it's like. You know, like I said, say what you will about the prequels, but I don't think uh, without either the originals or the prequels, like they were like, okay, with the sequels, we're going to blend the two. You know, the original trilogy yeah. had that great practical effects. The CG or the CG in the prequels was like, it was good, but it wasn't quite there yet. We realize our limitations now. So let's combine yeah. them into the sequels. But now what we're going to get into is um, the next evolution of it. And why don't you... Uh, why don't you kind of lead us into that? So before we get into digital projection, why don't we take a quick break and hop into some worlds we've been exploring? <laughs> Left you on a cliffhanger there. Cliffhanger, <laughs> then, I was about to say. <laughs> and then after we after we talk about that, we'll get into digital projection and how that's going to change the way we make movies. So Grayson. It's been a week. Uh, how about this? I'll let you talk about one world you've explored. Yeah. Because I want to talk about a movie I saw that I've been thinking about all day. Okay. Well, so I'm going to, I'm going to, technically, I'm going to mention two, but the first one I'm not even going to get into. I rewatched The Empire Strikes Back in theaters, and I thought that was very beautiful. In, in tune with what we were talking about with this episode. Fantastic experience. I want theaters to open so bad. Around, yeah, I know, dude. Everything. I still can't go see movies. <laughs> that is, that is depressing. Yeah, I know that's it's just so where you're sad. at, like statewide. It's just a, a yeah. thing. But we went there, me, my dad, and there was like four other people in the theater. I think, and two of the people left early. But I'd never seen Empire Strikes Back in theaters in my entire life. It's my favorite movie of all of time. Not. So I was like. Yeah, I'm going to go see it. And granted, it's the newest version, like we were talking about uh, right before this, um, how they've been changed so much. But, hey, mm-hmm. it's still, it's it's freaking, it's The Empire Strikes Back. So, that was awesome. But the one world that I have kind of re-explored, and, ex- and I'm trying to examine a lot deeper, um, for my class, I had to read and watch The Princess Bride. And, man, I, you know, I, I don't have a whole lot to say, like, other than... God, I love that movie. Like, what a freaking <laughs> great movie. Like, it has an awesome world, amazing characters, wonderfully written dialogue. Everybody is so charismatic. The actors and performances are, like, spot on for the characters that are being played. And, man, I love Andre the Giant as my boy Fezzik. He's my favorite. Yeah. He's just, what a treasure. Um, that movie will forever. Princess Bride is very nostalgic. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was, I'm kind of writing about this in my, my blog post this week, but... Um, I love that it doesn't set itself in a world that's like high fantasy, you know? It's not like mm-hmm. wizards and dragons and like crazy stuff like that. It's like a very simple fantasy where it tries to base itself in reality. Like giant rats, cool. 
uh, fire swamp. That's like, okay, that's fair enough. Like, a, like a machine and that's kind of like slowly sucks away your life essence, basically like this ultimate torture device. I'm like, it's not entirely out of the realms of possibility, but it definitely, it's a little, right. it's a little hyper realized, but that's what makes it very cool. It's like, Oh, like you can, you could kind of see this happening or like someone being like twisting a, like an actual story to make it like that. But, um, yeah, Princess right. Bride is goaded. <laughs> Princess Bride is so good, man. It's so quotable. And, I don't know. It's like it's so funny, mm-hmm. and there's so many scenes in that movie that are su- like super iconic. Yeah, and that's one you thing you got to think of. Like the Sicilian is so quotable, so memeable. Yeah, and Inigo Montoya is a yeah. <laughs> Inigo Montoya is a fantastic character. So good. Um, like the main characters, the you know the classic prince and princess or the knight and the princess whatever they're not even good compared to but the, the i actually still love them though like i like i thought they're about great, it and i'm like wesley is like think about. is like medieval batman like i yeah. i think oh i think wesley's pretty funny i don't know like the part where they're in the like uh he's getting tortured and he's like now tell me how do you feel and he goes eh. <laughs> <laughs> and he just starts crying he's like interesting <laughs> it's so like it's it's yeah it's awesome but yeah get into the movie uh that you that you saw i want to i want to know yeah so i watched a movie last night that i bought because it was really cheap and it was blu-ray and i saw that it had like 90 percent on rotten tomatoes so i was like okay yeah i'll buy it and then i'll, I'll watch it okay uh the movie's called bone tomahawk <gasps> i've heard of this movie kurt russell have you seen it no yes. i haven't i want to okay so I, I won't spoil it then. Um, all right. So I still really don't know how I feel about it. Okay. Um, I watched it and my initial review on Letterboxd, I gave it a three and a half. Okay. But I really think that's kind of my own interpretation of it. And I think it's probably better than that. I think it could get a four or four and a half. If you were to just like say objectively, how good is it? It's, it's better than three and a half. But uh, this is like a genre-bending wild movie. Okay. Um, it is both a Western comedy and a horror slasher. Yeah, I knew it was definitely like it had some horror slasher elements. I didn't know. It had yeah. Interesting. There's okay. some absolutely gnarly kills in this movie. Really? Um, absolutely insane. There's one. Give me, give me like a simple plot like of this like what okay. how would you explain right. this so the uh the general plot is there is this group of cannibalistic sadistic indians oh that live in this thing called like the valley of the starved man or something um and they're called troglodytes or tronglodytes or something. It's essentially it's a word that means cave dweller. Yeah, yeah. I this it's up it's so I was like, yeah. is this is this real? Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's a real word. I've heard it, was it before. Like, this is ridiculous. I've had it used on me as an insult before, so I would know. Oh. <laughs> you watch this movie and you'll never be able to talk to that person again because <laughs> this is like I don't want to be associated with these people at all. Okay. They're they're terrifying. Yeah. Um. So basically what happens is um, these two guys like defile their burial ground or something. And so 
they like chased them. These troglodytes chased two dudes away. And one of them makes his way into this uh, western town that all of our main characters live in. And Kurt Russell is the sheriff of. And so this drifter shows up and Kurt Russell, um, he shoots him in the process of arresting him because he's just like bad blood, I guess. He doesn't like him being there. And so um, then he, he shot him. So like he needs medical attention. So he gets um, one main character's wife, who is a doctor. He says, come take care of this guy. I shot him. So she goes to the jail with like his deputy and then this guy. So uh, basically what happens is these troglodytes show up at this town because they're trying to get this dude that ran away from them. And they kidnap the three of them that are in the jail. So uh, female doctor, deputy, and drifter. Kidnap the three of them. And so then uh, Kurt Russell, uh, one of his deputies, um, uh, another guy played by Patrick Wilson, and then another dude who's like a gunslinger played by Matthew Fox, they go after them. And... So up until this point, it seems like kind of normal Western. You don't really know anything about these troglodytes other than one Indian kind of tells you that they are like super duper messed up, like disgusting. Okay. Um, but you don't really know anything about them. Um, and the movie does a really good job of keeping them mysterious to where you don't know much other than you probably don't want to deal with them. Um, so... This movie drags on like it's a two hour movie. It's not like a quick little thing. And oh, it okay. does a great job of developing its characters, which is what I was surprised mm -hmm. about because after you watch the movie, the genres that it kind of plays with are genres that don't have generally great characters or attention to detail yeah. or things that this movie does have. Um, this movie's got a great script, it's got super awesome dialogue. Its characters have clear motivations. I do like um, that. I, I dig a lot of what this movie is. So then at the end of the movie, and I won't spoil any endings or anything like that, but it gets gnarly. Um, it's, you know, like all of the slasher elements are kept out of the movie until the last third of the, or basically the third act. And then it builds up and it gets gnarly. And, you know, that's the part that probably led me to give it a three and a half on Letterboxd. But... At the same time, I was equal parts impressed with the movie, but also like I probably don't want to watch that again because that was so gross. Really? Um, yeah. Like, but like it's good. Okay. I, I see. To me, this sounds freaking awesome, and I honestly I may go watch this movie like right after this. <laughs> like you should. I, I think it's on Amazon Prime, whoo, so I think you can watch it. Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, dude, it's. Also, Kurt Russell, and I'm pretty sure I remember in this movie, he has, like, an amazing mustache. He's got an incredible mustache. Yeah. It's like his Hateful Eight mustache. Ah, yes. The Hateful Eight it's mustache. It's so good. I do love that. Dude. And this movie was made in 2015, so yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the same mustache. Ah, uh, yeah. Yep, that would make sense, because 2015 was, uh, man, 2015 was Hateful Eight. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, Bone Tomahawk was a... Uh, was a movie that I remember my friend recommended, or not recommended, but he mentioned to me. Um, yeah. And I was like, 
okay, like I'm, and this is obviously because we've talked about like that we enjoy westerns, and this was still right. like as I was starting to get to to more modern westerns, but uh, yeah. I'm I'm intrigued. It definitely has western elements and you'll I love all the western mm-hmm. sides of this cuz it doesn't like it doesn't make it goofy. Like it it really definitely honors some of like the western things that it's kind of playing on. Mm-hmm. But then it definitely 1000% gets into slasherville. So like you almost can't imagine how it blends all that together until you see it and watch it. Um but it definitely does, and I think it does it pretty well. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. So this director, this was his debut. It was written and directed by a dude named, um, oh gosh, what's his name? It was like, I have, I just I looked remember. it up real quick. Um, S. Craig Zoller. Yes. So it was his feature debut. He's made two movies since then, and one thing he always, uh, each movie, I looked at all of his movies they all have pretty well-known actors in them Mm -hmm. and this one is no exception like you've got matthew fox patrick wilson uh kurt russell and then um another guy who i've definitely seen in other movies i think he was in patrick or in uh cabin in the woods uh i don't remember his name but he plays a really funny uh deputy it's like this old guy that just won't ever shut up is it richard jenkins yes it's richard jenkins okay I don't remember what else he's been in, but I, I've definitely seen him in other movies. Yeah, I know this actor for sure. He's in Step Brothers. So <laughs> that's what it is. He plays the dad in Step Brothers. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, like for a budget, I think this movie had a budget of like one and a half million or something. One point eight. So it's a super small. And it did yeah, not 1. make 8. a lot of money at all. Like it, it didn't no. even make half. It made four hundred eighty-one thousand bucks back. Dude, that- that's depressing because this movie deserves to make more than that. Yeah. That's really sad. Because it had a limited theatrical release, but I'm hoping because it got released on Netflix at one point and it's on Amazon Prime, I think. You know, so it's funny we were talking. People are starting to notice it. We were talking, or we were talking about that a little bit on last week's episode when we were talking about 310 to Yuma. But I mentioned it a little bit in um, one of my assignments that I did speaking on 310 to Yuma that like almost all modern westerns do not make money. Like, no. like I basically I came to the consensus in this thing, and, and maybe I'll like link this somewhere, um, this post, and because I, I really enjoyed the kind of analyzation that I did on it. But basically, I said westerns nowadays are better than they've ever been in history in terms of like, like yep. filmmaking techniques and performances and acting. I mean, I'm thinking of obviously Three Ten and Yuma was 13 years ago, but and now you're mentioning this movie. I thought about Hostiles. I thought about even like neo westerns, and almost all of them are limited releases and don't make any money because people just don't care about westerns anymore. Like it's not yeah. that they're bad movies. Most of them are actually some of the best in cinema we've gotten in the past decade. But the problem is, let's is be that honest, westerns aren't popular anymore. <laughs> I'm about to give a hot take about why that is. And this may or may not be correct, but this is why I think it is. I think it's because it's from an era in American history that most people in modern times would like to forget and like to, um, well, not forget, like to, yeah, no, like to forget because uh, America at that time had a lot of issues with racism and racism and so almost everything yeah. I mean it was racism racism is, violence I mean it was literally there's a term why we there's why we coined the term it's like the wild west out there is like there's yeah. no rules everyone is like it, people either can have high morals low morals really in between like everybody's it, it's just it's so uncertain everything yes and it's just very hate 
hate-filled and whatnot. And so, yeah, people like tend to forget about that. But I think you saying they just that, don't like it. Yeah. I think they don't like westerns because the mindset of that period of time, the 1860s to 1890s, it's a period where uh, white people generally didn't like Indians and didn't like African Americans. Mm-hmm. And so, when you have anything like that in a western which is going to happen because that was the universal mindset at the time people are going to be like "Mm, nope don't like it yeah or they just won't like westerns because they're like uh they're going to have a a negative view of indians american indians in it and they're going to have a negative view of african americans in it and so they're just like turned off to the whole genre because of what it represents which stinks because it's not true so sad because it's not necessarily true hostiles and it put it Watch. Has a great view watch of Wind River, how we can come Hostiles, together. Watch even Django Unchained, which is a, a Quentin Tarantino <laughs> movie. Like, like there's right. a, all almost. That's what I was about to say, and and you're hitting the nail like nail on the head. Is that I would argue that because of all of those things are so prevalent, it gives an, a very great way and a great setting to give commentary on those issues, those exact issues. Yeah. I mean, that is the entire point of Hostiles. I won't give any spo- spoilers or anything, but that's one of the like the biggest themes of that movie. Um, and so like, I that's why I think Westerns now are almost better than what they used to be in their prime because it's not about like the high and mighty gunslinger chasing down the bad bank robber or whatever, or like the morally gray like drifter like trying to like get his money back and kill and kill some guy. Like, you know, it's just now it's so much, I would say deeper, um, because of where filmmaking has gone. But you know, I digress. So all that said, (laughs) we had our, we had our weekly Western diatribe, which you just kind of have to get used to. It's okay. Um, all that to say bone Tomahawk is like, three quarters Western and then the other quarter is something else entirely. Yeah. Um, see, I'm excited for that other part of it. That's what I'm looking forward to. It's, I want you season. to see it today. <laughs> I, I definitely want you to see it today and don't say I didn't warn you because I remember okay. I told my dad, I was like, Hey, I bought this movie and he was like, Oh yeah, I watched it. It was pretty good. I was like, cool. That's all he said to me. And then I texted Your dad him saw it before like, you. Why didn't you warn me? Yeah. He saw, he watched it on YouTube. <laughs> what <laughs> he watches so many like b movies um so that when i get around to watching them because generally i don't like watching b movies because i'm like if i'm not gonna enjoy the movie i just don't want to watch it yeah dad's like i don't give a crap dude if it's that's what there, my dad's I'll like watch too it. yep yep it's a, it's a must be a dad <laughs> he thing. does not <laughs> care if it's gonna be good he will just watch random movies. He will literally sit at our kitchen table with his headphones in, watching <laughs> them on his phone. <laughs> he Dude, won't even watch on it. Your TV. dad is a legend. I gotta meet your dad. <laughs> That's great. He's you would love him. He's super cool. So anyway, he he didn't warn me about it, and then I texted him today. I was like, "Why didn't you tell me?" He was like, "Yeah, it's gross, isn't it?" And I was like, "Dude." <laughs> you could have said something i was not prepared i was laying in bed after taking a shower and i'm just sitting there surfing twitter and then it's like oh my god I'm <laughs> where did that come from <laughs> yeah so anyway uh it's still really good and if you are not squeamish uh go watch bone Dumahawk. uh because it it definitely gives you enough in the first two acts of the movie that you're super invested in the characters and you want to see what happens to them. And I can say like once crap started hitting the fan towards the end, um, 
I was super invested in it, and I really was pulling for certain characters to to come out and to win. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I can for for that almost alone. Like, good job. Uh, whatever that. I'm hyped. What I'm was hyped. that director's name? S. Craig Zoller or something? Yeah, I think you nailed it. Good I'll, job, Zoller. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let's hop back into the episode and cap this one off talking about some digital projection. All right, so continuing with the Star Wars trend, uh, there's one thing that happened last year that I think absolutely changed the game for special effects. And, well, yeah, special effects, it's not necessarily computer-generated CGI. It is practical, which is super dope. But it It is, but it isn't. Yeah. Right. So... Essentially, what we're talking about is this thing created for the show The Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. Uh, You said it has a name before we recorded. It's called The Volume, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. So essentially what this is, is a 360-degree projector. But it's not a projector. It's LED paneling. Yeah. Uh, So essentially what they did for The Mandalorian, which if you... Well, go look this up on YouTube after you listen to this episode if you're still listening. Yeah. Uh, thank you. But uh, go look this up on YouTube because there's super cool videos that explain in depth how this was done. Yeah. And it's absolutely mind-blowing. It's super, super cool. The best thing to so watch is the the gallery. Um, for yes. It's on Disney+. Plus. So if you've seen The Mandalorian and you still have your Disney+, Plus, which the new season starts in like less than a month anyway, so I, I don't see why you wouldn't. Um, but the gallery basically explains all of the behind-the-scenes in The Mandalorian. And so some are more like the plot and some are more about the directors but there are almost in every single episode or a couple of episodes they mention the volume and they talk about all of the filmmakers are talking about like how awesome the volume is like how it yeah. gives it gives such a you know what continue to explain what it is before i like start nerding out over it <laughs> all right so we've got 360 degree led paneling which um the filmmakers for Mandalorian programmed to be their their background. So mm-hmm. instead of having chroma keys where we've got our background, it's just this green thing that you can't really interact with. <clears throat> and then they chroma key it out and then put in your background and post. Instead, you have your background there. Like it is practically there. Mm-hmm. But it's not really there. It's there in that the actor can see it because it's a screen and it's an LED panel, so it actually gives off light like that place would. So they can program it to where they can get the correct light on the character. Yep. And it's super cool because it uh, reflects off the Mandalorian's helmet and it looks really awesome. Mm-hmm. But um, so you got the 3D paneling and they built these sets where it's still, you've got like. Uh, you know, like a quarter of your environment practical. So there's still practical stuff. Like usually, ship, usually the ground, like the bottom half of it. Yeah. Yeah. The ground is all practical. They all build it mm-hmm. on this set and then they surround the whole set with this uh, 3D LED or 360 LED paneling. Yep. Um, but like the Mandalorian ship, like the bottom half of it, they've built it, but then the top half of it, it blends with the LED and panels it's so perfectly. Cool. Yeah. So you can't tell. Yeah. You literally cannot tell because it's LED, which means it's, just like a perfect image. Yeah. Um, and if you project something, it doesn't always come across. Like maybe it's a little bit duller or maybe it doesn't look quite right. If you have LED panels, it looks 
perfect. Yeah. And so base and for anybody who may be confused and like, okay, well, it's just it's just LEDs. Yeah, yeah, and no, because what they're doing is so John Favreau explained this, and you know he's the showrunner for The Mandalorian. For anybody who may not know, he experimented with this sort of technology in the Lion King movie that he directed uh, a little bit beforehand, maybe even the same year actually. And you know when he was making this, actually it was even as far back as uh, the Jungle Book that he did. But you know he was he really got into um, what they use for gaming technology uh, with Unreal Engine. And that's where they base a lot of mm-hmm. this stuff. And so what happened is is he um, he was filming Jungle Book and Lion King through these cameras, basically using like digital sets where it's basically like it's just an empty room and, the, and all you can see is through the viewfinder what's going on. And that way it gives you real accurate camera shots and you're seeing the environment all around. So especially with the Lion King where the entire thing is CG except for like the very first shot, which was a real sunrise. You actually can see the, you know, all of the animals and what's going on. And you can pretty much like the, the entire world has been rendered like a video game, like a video game cutscene. So mm-hmm. the entire thing is, is happening. And then it allows them to like film it, film it, you know, and get the shots that you need. And so then yeah. John Favreau was like, I want to expand on this. I want it to be where it's not like looking through a camera, but also it's like the actual actors that, you know, aren't CG, that they are real people have an actual um, surrounding to give them reference. And so it's like, they're actually there. Like, I mean, it's yeah. honestly like a, like a really souped up, um, uh, oh gosh, uh, planetarium basically like that's, honestly it's like you're seeing like everything around you though like it's like a big dome and so say they're on like tatooine like you're seeing the dunes maybe seeing some cliffs out to the side like you're seeing everything that's going on around you um and if maybe you're say like um you know on like one of the episodes they go to uh, like a farm for example like you're seeing like yep. buildings in the background and maybe like one or two of the buildings is real but it's like kind of like the set extensions that we talked about but almost like it's not exactly a set extension it's almost the majority of the set but and then and then they go back in post and then they add basically those environments that they've already made into the actual screen so then it pretty much like allows you to get the perfect shot because you don't have to worry about uh, you get the almost lighting. everything in camera in the moment. It's probably saves them so much time and like the investment mm-hmm. in that alone has probably saved them a ton of money because it's why they're able to roll out uh, a season of Mandalorian this quickly after season, the first one. Season two was done so quick after the first season. Um, yep. Like it probably the only reason it's coming out this month is just for marketing reasons. Like I'm pretty sure yep. the Mandalorian finished like three months ago. <laughs> yeah no they they wrapped on they probably finished shooting about mm-hmm. a year ago and then they were doing post until probably two or three months ago yeah which you know it's crazy because the production value for the mandalorian is incredibly high it's so stupid high <laughs> and it, like each episode is a movie i mean it's a i mean the it's a 40-minute episode, right? Roughly. Usually 30 to 40. I think the shortest episode of The Mandalorian is like 28 minutes. The longest was like 40. Yeah. Right. So they're not like like a 20-minute thing where you know you can do it quickly. Like It's an actual 40-minute episode most of the time. Mm-hmm. And they released, what was it, eight in season one? Right. And I'm guessing, do we know if they're doing eight or ten for season two? I believe it's eight again. Eight again. So still... 
you know, a regular movie is like an hour and a half, two hours, maybe even two and a half hours mm-hmm. if you're like Nolan, basically. But um, yeah. if you really want to do it like a movie, it's let's just do a happy medium. It's an hour and 45 minutes. Um, you're getting that in three episodes of The Mandalorian and they're making they're making like two movies and some change. Yeah. It's, but they're doing it really quickly because they're able to do these super big set pieces that you would need a lot of special effects shots for that they would have to send off. You know, like um, I'm thinking of uh, the the prequels, the Star Wars prequels. Um, they would have shot those Those had so like 2,000 special effects shots in them. Mm-hmm. And those need to be sent off to a special effects house that then does all like the the technical stuff to make those things happen. And that takes a lot of time. They got to render it all and they've got to like do digital painting and all this crazy stuff to make it look how it's supposed to look. They got to do all these things. That takes a lot of time and you got to pay people to do that. But if you can get all of that stuff in camera and do the exact same thing and on top of all of that, it looks better because you're able to tweak it in real time to where you can make it look exactly how you want and you can make it look great and and interact with the actors and talking about interacting with actors they were able to program it to work with their cameras to where you have your background but the background is almost like tied to the camera there's a little receiver on the camera and there's another uh receiver on the computer that runs this whole thing and so when you move the camera, the background also moves, which is something you couldn't do with green screen. And it's loading it in and real so that time. that changes. Yeah, it does it in real time without lag, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Because that, so again, crazy. it saves you so much time in post-production that you're able to do things a lot quicker. And so now we can see something that looks better than what green screens were able to give you. Because, uh, you know, computers can really only take you so far. And they've done a great job up until now but now that we have this thing called the volume where you have 360 led panels that you can program to look exactly how you want you're getting all of that in the moment and it looks better it takes less time and it's less expensive it's basically which is crazy if you don't if you haven't gotten it thus far the ba- the best way to dis- describe it is aug- it's augmented reality like it's it, essentially vr yeah um it's just placing yourself in an ar simulation that's like like so it, for example like they've kind of done something similar with this uh and and this may have been part of it because it's also a video game they have something called the void vr at disney and it's basically you put on these goggles and you're in these real rooms but they're just they're just black walls. You put this headset mm-hmm. on and this whole rig on, and you're basically placed in a real environment that is accurate to like your room and or not your room, but the rooms that they have designed. It's yeah. basically the inverse of that, where instead of you get you you're like the walls are nothing, like and, the walls are something, and it's all there in real time, and yeah, you can see it. Yeah, and it's not like you can actually like touch it just because it is like a computer. But yeah, it's right. like now it's man the. The lines between video games, movies, and TV are being completely blurred. I mean, yeah. TV used to be like really low budget. Like you th- I think about like the CW shows. Like that's still probably like tried and true TV, where like the CG is not that great. Like you think of like The Flash and Supergirl and Arrow. Like it's okay, 
but it's not like it's not a movie. It's you not know? super great. And then yeah. we had like Game of Thrones with HBO that was like this is really cinematic, you know, um, in terms of like the budget. And now the Mandalorian yep. and, and Disney Plus shows in general, like the reason is the Mandalorian feels almost <laughs> almost like on an equal level to the sequel trilogy of the movies and like Rogue One and Solo. Yep. Because and so that's why like the MCU is capitalizing on all of these TV shows. Like we're getting far more TV shows than we are movies now because it's like, well, we can put it out in this episodic format. We don't have to wait like to do say a, you know, a, a Thor movie every two to three years. Like we could do this one show and release episodes like a season every year. And it lasts a whole lot longer and it's going to look just as good. Like, right. and then, and video games. Like, I mean, I don't think we would have the, the volume without where video games are. Like, I mean, I've been playing, I play a lot of, uh, really high budget video games that are, are critically acclaimed, and like think of like Last of Us or Red Dead or God of War, like Spider Man, yep. like a lot of PlayStation games, honestly. But even like the new Gears of War and Halo games, like all of them, oh my gosh, like they're so good and Unreal yep. Engine, um, and all of these other game engines have like totally changed the game, and now we, it can be used for filmmaking. And there's a guy that I. Uh, would encourage people to go watch is he's actually a star wars youtuber but like he doesn't do like he's not a traditional star wars youtuber he's actually a filmmaker and his uh his youtube is cinematic captures and what he does is he started out as basically being like a guy who took photos inside the game of battlefront and you know for anybody who knows like battlefront they basically scanned actual items from and, and props and sets like they literally went to the redwood forest to scan the environments um which is where like again filmmaking Super transitioning cool. to video games and vice versa and so he was like on like battlefront um and battlefront 2 developed by ea and dice like it looks so good i'm gonna take photos in this and that's why we're seeing a photo mode in so many different video games now he's getting into basically you can make full-on movies in your bedroom like you can right. <laughs> like he's what i mentioned with the lion king he has a camera and a rig and it's hooked up to his really high-end computer where he can program all of these 3d models to do exactly what he wants get in that vr headset with that camera and film it film it all and do the dialogue and all of the special effects without having to even leave and it's like what like that's insane and so now like yeah like what you got the void or not the void. You've got, you got the void VR. Volume. Then you've got the volume, which is like an AR thing. And now we've got like, I mean, it goes so much further now than just blue screen and green screen. Like it is right. This is. I love how they were so nonchalant with it in the Mandalorian. They were like, "Yeah, we like we made this whole we new thing. The, we made this whole thing that's <laughs> brand new that nobody's ever seen before. It's like no biggie. ILM right. all in a day's work. I'm like, right." And I'm like, you guys this crazy. thing is insane. We've never seen anything like this before. Yeah. What's the crazy about it, though, is um, watching the show, I did not know that they had done this technique for capturing It didn't come out until like I a no month clue. or two after the show ended. It didn't they come were... out until later. Yeah. <laughs> but watching it, I, was, I remember thinking, especially with the first episode, like, this looks really, really, really good. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, it's kind of sometimes difficult to actually qualify what looks good. And what doesn't look good in terms of CG and stuff like that, sometimes you can tell it looks mm -hmm. kind of rubbery or it looks like a video game from like 2012. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you can tell like you don't know exactly why it doesn't look right, but it just doesn't. Yep. Uh, Black Hobbit. Panther. Um, 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the Mandalorian, like, it just looked really crisp. It looked real. Um, the environments looked really great. And then it came out that, oh, yeah, we we made this whole brand new thing that nobody's ever done before in order to make this happen. And now we're going to be doing this kind of thing more going forward. And we're going to be able to make movies faster. Uh, actors are going to be able to give better performances because they can actually see the environment that they're supposedly in instead of talking to a green ball on a stick. Yeah. Uh, or a Game person in a green suit like Twilight <laughs> right. where she's petting his head and he's just like, have you seen that? Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's so bizarre. Uh, some of the things you would do with green screens involved in order to digitally paint, like I made the Game of Thrones reference, but to make the dragons in Game of Thrones, they put literally a green ball on a stick, and Amelia Clark is petting a green ball on a stick when she's petting dragons. And I'm like, you can't, how do you act when you're looking at a little, a, a dude holding a stick pointed at you? Like, how do you act with that? And Acting, man. <laughs> I, it, it's incredible. Um, the fact that she doesn't just bust out laughing because she's like, ooh, it's a gumball on a stick. You know, like the fact that she's actually acting is kind of impressive because I would sit there and just act like a child the whole time. Yeah. But um, now they don't necessarily have to do that anymore because they've got this augmented reality LED panel thing that they can do. And, you know, also another thing is you don't have to go on location because you can have all your locations at a studio, mm -hmm. which again saves you money for getting the permits and things like that. So, Essentially, this new digital projection saves money, saves time, and it allows actors to act better, mm -hmm. which is really cool. And so I think we're going to be seeing this quite a bit going oh. forward with It's just the tip of the movies. iceberg, yeah. So, yeah, it really is the tip of the iceberg. It's really, really cool. But that about wraps up this yeah. episode of Rising Action. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you haven't yet, leave us a review. Uh wherever you listen to your podcast, leave us a like, uh, share it with your friends. Yeah, man. If you learn something new, uh, I feel like this episode's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm biased though. I, I actually but. really like the episodes where we talk about like just new, new innovative technology and, um, or not even just technology, just, just different aspects that are like really informational and, um, you know, yeah, I like I like doing episodes like this. It's definitely different than just oh, let's re review a movie and 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 whatnot. And sometimes we get into that whole things, or maybe, but like when we're talking about a director or we're talking about any sort of stuff like this, it's always a, a fun time. So yeah, hopefully you learned something uh, new and expounded upon your filmmaking knowledge. <laughs> yeah. So if you made it this far, uh, why don't you do this? Why don't you post? something in your Instagram story and tag us on rising action underscore on Instagram. And uh, then we can be friends and communicate over the interwebs. Yeah. If there's and, something you want to see us really cool. talk about too. Uh, yeah, that too. That's like, Oh, why have they not talked about this? You idiots. It's like, well, let us know. I Cause would... we're idiots. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. Um, <sighs> But yeah, thank you guys for listening to this episode. You can again, you can follow us at Rising Action underscore on Instagram. You can follow me at Trace Thirty Eight on all the things. You can follow Josh at Josh Johnson ninety eight with two N's on everything else. And make sure to check us out on Comic Blast. It's another podcast that we do with a couple of other friends. I've been doing it. This is for a long time. Um, 
so yeah, this is just one of the two that we do. So if you like pop pop culture stuff or nerdy stuff, as I'm sure you do because you're listening to a, another nerdy ty- type podcast, go check it out. Um, with that being said, this is the way. <laughs>